welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 19 of the Pete on Software podcast. I'm recording this on Sunday, July 20th, 2014. This week, I'm going to talk about being an imposter. Well, me not being an imposter, but feeling like one. Ever since I read Scott Hanselman's post about being a phony back in August 2011, I felt like that he described me perfectly. In fact, I even have this fact in my Twitter bio, which reads, Just a geek who likes to code and spend time with his family? Steelers and Buckeyes fan? Phony. And then I have a link to the Hansel post. This idea of being a phony and imposter syndrome was brought up to me again in the past few weeks when Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man, did a show number 364, and he covered the notion about being an imposter. So first of all, why do so many people feel like imposters? The first idea I'd like to visit is the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is a cognitive bias theory. The bias rears its head in two ways. First, from Wikipedia, unskilled individuals suffer from illusory superiority, mistakenly rating their ability much higher than is accurate. This bias is attributed to a metacognitive inability for the unskilled to recognize their ineptitude. Basically, I can simplify that as, people are too dumb to know that they're dumb. They aren't smart enough, smart enough to realize what they don't know. The flip side of that, and the one that's relevant for us here today, is that those persons to whom a skill or set of skills come easily may find themselves with weak self-confidence, and they may falsely assume that others have an equivalent understanding. See imposter syndrome. Again, from Wikipedia. So there we have one piece of the puzzle. Smart people often assume, even when you think the world would have beaten it out of you, uh, that because they know or understand something, that everyone else must also know or understand it. Or that because they're competent, then everyone else in their position or job must be also. I can tell you that I know this, but I still fall for it every single day. The rest of the imposter syndrome says that when a person feels like an imposter, they will internalize their accomplishments and convince themselves that luck timing, trickery, whatever is what allowed them to accomplish what they accomplished, and that anything else or that anyone else could have accomplished that as well if they had only been given the imposter's advantages. Well, there's a flip side to this. You may have already considered it while I've been talking or long before you ever heard this podcast, and that's the idea of ego and hubris. It would be beating a dead horse for me to bring up again that programmers have a reputation for for having extremely large egos. In polite society, it's generally regarded as a bad thing to have an ego or to be overly proud. So people who deal from, or people who suffer from imposter syndrome can easily think that they're just being polite, not tooting their own horn too loudly, and generally being humble individuals. We'll have to deal with why taking the appropriate credit is not a bad thing also. Let's take a look at the example of a man named Dr. Stephen Brookfield, who's a distinguished university professor from the University of St. Thomas. Despite publishing 16 books, and his professorship, and all his other credentials, Dr. Brookfield feels like an imposter. He states that imposter syndrome is equally prevalent in men and women, and it's just women will typically open up and own to it more so than men, who feel that admitting feeling like an imposter can have its own negative consequences. The difference, according to Sheryl Sandberg in her book Lean In, is that men will often go for it anyway, applying for promotions that they are borderline qualified for, taking chances, and all that stuff, while women won't. But the end result's the same. The men who get the positions now have more responsibilities and feel like an imposter even more, while the women see their continued position uh, that they're in as confirmation that they might be out of their depth anyway. If you suffer from imposter syndrome, it can keep you from getting ahead because you won't apply yourself to get that promotion 
or that recognition for fear that the increased recognition or responsibilities will finally be the straw that breaks the camel's back and will expose you. One odd side effect of the imposter syndrome is also that it can cause the sufferer to puff themselves up and inflate their accomplishments to try to keep up with the facade of their greatness that everyone's buying into and that they're having more and more trouble floating. That can also cause people to think that imposters are full of themselves when the opposite's true. They're like the bully who intimidates others because he doesn't have friends and he doesn't know any other way to have people recognize him. This isn't something limited to introverted tech types and academics either. Famous people feel this way. Uh, Kate Winslet said that she would wake up every morning before going off to a shoot and think, I can't do this, I'm a fraud. Maya Angelou said, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I run a game on everybody and they're going to find me out. Don Cheadle, owner of one of my favorite lines in the Ocean's Eleven remake, says, All I can see is everything I'm doing wrong that is sham and a fraud. Okay, I probably convinced you that this is a thing and that you very well might feel this way from time to time. What can you do about it that's healthy and constructive? First step that you should take is realizing that this is an issue for you. You won't even start to take steps two through X if you don't see that you're struggling. Step two would be to admit it to someone. Admitting you have a problem to someone is very freeing. This is true for alcoholics, drug users, gamblers, and even imposters. Something that I find helpful either as a mental exercise or a physical exercise is a personal timeline. This idea comes from something that was done at my church as part of a refocusing initiative. The gist is that you make post-its of events in your life and you color code them for the kinds of events that they are. Red events are painful, green might be huge wins, and so on. This isn't a rigid process, so you do what makes sense. But then you lay those post-its out in a timeline, and you start to see how the events in your life have gotten you to where you are now. How does that apply in the secular world? Well, if I literally keep track of everything that has happened in my life to get me where I am, I could see why I deserve to be where I am. If I think that I only have a job because I met some specific person, I could point to the fact that a year before that meeting, I started going to networking events with the express purpose of meeting people that I could help and who could help me in my career. If I don't feel like I have the proper experience, I could point to project after project that I've delivered across many technologies and with many different teams. There's a constant there of me, so I must have some value added to that team. If I wonder why I always get to work on the best projects at work, maybe I could point to all the time that I spend reading on new technologies and the time that I spent tinkering with hobby projects on the weekends the time that I read blogs, go to user group at conferences. I work to prepare myself to tackle new challenges. What if I decide that I've just been able to get ahead because of some factor that's out of my control, like how easily learning is, or how well I do at math, or what if creative ideas just flow out of me? In that case, that's still a piece of who you are. That special makeup of your genetics and your upbringing is still a critical part of what makes you so special. Don't discount it. It's part of what makes you unique. If you're honest and you really examine your life, you'll see exactly why you deserve to be where you are. What about getting too big of a head about that? Being conceited is thinking too highly of yourself. However, you are perfectly allowed to think of yourself in the right light. It isn't everyone else's fault if you're awesome, am I right? Just don't lord it over everyone and have true friends that will call you on your stuff and you'll be alright. Honestly, I'd rather have each and every one of you fail a little more to the confident side than the deprecating side, and that way you have a little cushion for when life hits you hard. Get out there, realize who you are, where you came from, and what you're worth. Realize that others around you don't have all the answers. And when it comes to doing something, why not you, if you're willing to work hard and make it happen? My first pick of the week this week is the 2014 Tools of the Trade list on GitHub that I have linked in the show notes. It can be very hard to keep track of all the new amazing tools that come out all the time in your area, like development in my case, 
But what if you need a tool to do something outside of your area? Too many times I search Google for all the things like best online CRM tool or best invoicing app, and I find out-of-date posts from years ago. This list is kept up to date by pull requests and hopefully will continue to be a valuable resource for time to come. Categories include browser email testing, bug and issue tracking, planning and project management, app developer tools, business and traffic and analytics, HR, payroll, on and on and on, over 75 total categories. Definitely give it a look when you're trying to find a new or improved tool for your toolbox. My second pick of the week this week is an interesting post over at Rain Design's blog called A Better Way to Ask, How Much Would It Cost to Develop This App? This link is also in the show notes. Quoting for an app is hard because you aren't sure what you're getting into to make sure that you aren't going to lose money. So you swag some numbers, double it, pad them, add margin, and then quote that to the customer. That's not really a fair way to go, but it's a common theme at too many places that I've dealt with. If you ask for transparency behind the quote, you're just not going to get it. Is there a better way? The solution from this blog is to price in a more agile way and ask, how much can you commit to developing this app per month? Basically putting the developers on retainer for you. Uh, There are some interesting conclusions in the post, and this is something that Rain Design has done with actual customers, and they share those results too. It's an excellent, thought-provoking read. Even if you don't agree with it, it should hopefully spark some thinking for you, and that's never a bad thing. That's it for this week. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me on Twitter as at PeteOnSoftware or on my blog, PeteOnSoftware.com. If you've enjoyed my podcast, please consider ranking it or rating it in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found it. Thanks again, and until next time.